From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Monday, November 30th, 2020. With Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet, bad news out of the bar. And we are back. This is Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Welcome back, Drew. Thank you, Alicia. How was your Thanksgiving? It was quiet very quiet it was safe that's good yeah i am quite sure that neither i nor any of my family members gave anybody else covid during thanksgiving very isolated huh quite, yes. yeah us too it was nice it was a nice quiet mendocino thanksgiving yeah. um but we haven't been back we haven't been here since monday last oh, week a whole week and a lot has happened in the coronavirus scene i think well, a lot of numbers, yeah. which keep getting bigger. That's really the the main uh, event in the last week, both locally, statewide, and nationally. Um, the numbers have been fairly robustly growing on uh, day by day, even during the significant dip that we saw during of testing over the la- the few days around Thanksgiving. Um, so last Monday we had fourteen hundred and twenty four confirmed cases. As of this, as of last night, uh, the last update available, we have. 1580 so we added 156 cases in one week yes that's coming in at 22 a day for this little tiny county that's about as high as it's actually been in this county at all period full stop um and california is quickly climbing to its highest numbers um that that it's seen at all uh so that's concerning the good news is we're still not um seeing an overwhelm an overrun of the uh, health care systems we only have uh seven hospitalized um and one in the icu but we did have another death in the we county did. yeah so that's 23 deaths so far in the county unfortunately um hundred almost 200 active cases in the county um over 35,000 tests have been run 1580 of those tests are still pending our positivity rate is over four, um, so it's 4.1. And generally, just to keep that in perspective, a number under one is considered really good. So we're we're really quite high. Um, well, four in times that. Yeah. Um, and we're running about 17 cases per 100,000 um, in the in the county right now with a seven-day delay, seven seven-day average. California is similarly up. Um, up 76% over the last two weeks. Um, the rate of climb, if you will. So a week ago, the rate of climb was 100%. So now it's down to only 76%. So we're still we? <laughs> we're still increasing, but not going quite as straight up as we were a week ago. What I've seen of California compared to other states is that uh, although our numbers are still lower than other states, we're seem to be increasing faster than any other states. We're increasing pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, that's partially, I think, because we were lagging for a while and now we're suddenly starting to catch up. And some of the states that really saw a crazy surge um, in the upper Midwest, uh, they're starting to come down a bit as well. So, you know, it's it's going to we're going to continue to see this yo-yo effect as as people get the message and hunker down and then they get tired of hunkering down and they get out and go about and do things. And then it comes roaring right back. And, you know, unfortunately, that's all 
fairly predictable. The worrisome statistic statewide is the increase in hospitalization rate. It's almost 80% over the course of uh, the last uh, few days. Um, so that's that's an increase. I think it was around 50% increase in hospitalization um, a week ago. Um, what does that look like in terms of numbers? Well, we still have capacity uh, locally and regionally, so that's good. I mean, the capacity is not <laughs> super um, broad, even in the best of times, um, but there's still ample beds sort of statewide. There are going to be patchy shortages, to be sure, and some of the more rural um, counties actually have very high case counts right now in California, um, up around Lassen County, I believe, and some of those other counties that originally saw very low numbers um, just due to their remote nature and fairly urban, I'm sorry, rural setting. But uh, that's that's changing, unfortunately. 13 million U.S. cases, over 10,000 people, nearly 10,000 people died in the last week from COVID in the United States. Um, 93,000 hospitalized nationwide, just just to keep that in perspective, we are really nationally, not not statewide yet, but we're nationally really starting to get to the margins of hospital capacity. And I think a lot of um, public health officers and epidemiologists are quite concerned about the next two or three months. I mean, I, I, the, the vaccines are coming, um, but they're a ways off, and we don't know a lot about them yet. Um, but between now and April, you know, it's, it's going to be a long, long winter, I'm, I fear. Yeah. So, good That's, news. You yeah. know what? It's it's <laughs> interesting how it's always the same message, but it just keeps getting more it's, so. <laughs> you know, I actually, I had the week off because back in August when I put in my schedule request, I was hoping that I would be wrong and I was going to be able to travel during Thanksgiving. But unfortunately, I wasn't. And the pandemic really precluded safe travel. And I stayed, stayed put. Um, and I fear, um, and I think a lot of public health officers um, and healthcare workers in general really are concerned about the next few months. It's just, it's going to get really bad. And I, I, you know, I know I'm doom and gloom around COVID, but this has kind of been following the trajectory that we foresaw back in April and May yeah. when people were talking about sort of the double dip pandemic. And it's just getting worse and worse. And we don't we have no national leadership on this at all right now. It's completely, completely Totally lacking. abdicated. Yeah. Yeah, um, just gone. So, you know, the vaccines are a bright spot, but that's a, it's a, it's a light that's a ways away still. Um, and we really don't know, you know, we haven't seen the data yet. Uh, this is, you know, science by press release. Um, we really don't know once the person gets a, the two vaccines, the one, two booster shot series that they've leading contenders require we don't know if that person is still contagious at some level or not um and we don't know the durability of the vaccine which is to say how long you have some degree of functional immunity um and so those are all open questions yet wait we don't know if the people are contagious after they get the vaccine that's correct because they their immune system is responding well their immune system might respond in a way that would prevent them from getting sick from covid but they could still incubate the virus and shed live virus um oh we don't know that it's not probable but it's certainly possible that that could be a scenario which unfortunately would mean prolonged mask wearing and social distancing until we get the induced and the way we're going natural herd immunity we'll see Good news is, if you get severe COVID, um, there's one study that came out recently that suggests it lowers your IQ by eight and a half points. 
So, yet another reason not to get COVID. That's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> is that terrible? That is awful. I, it's not a very robust study. And Good. It, we'll see if it is borne out, but it certainly is making the rounds amongst healthcare professionals right now. <laughs> so. Okay, well, um, good. Yet another reason to wear to your mask it. and yes. to avoid all humans. Yes. And I recall about, <laughs> I, I recall a couple of weeks ago, the caller called in um, about home testing. And right before Thanksgiving, um, the FDA approved a home test kit. Um, it's not yet available from what I can tell. The bad news is it costs about $50 and it requires a prescription currently. So not super useful, frankly. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Yep. Um, okay. Well, we have a couple of email questions. Yes. And then I'd like to open up the phone line. So let me give out the phone number. It's 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. And after we answer these email calls or email questions, we will open up the phone lines. All right. So I'm going to, rather than read them in their entirety, yep. I will uh, paraphrase. paraphrase them. So... Email number one, 71-year-old tested positive for COVID but is asymptomatic. Um, and the question is, what is known about immunity after an asymptomatic infection? And what about the effects on a person of asymptomatic infection? So in terms of immunity, we, we really don't have a hard answer to that. I mean, the, the data is clearly showing um, that it's possible for you to get reinfected. It's the chances are much, much lower. How concrete we can be about that is fairly flexible uh, in, in flux at this point. Um, and then the sort of the second part of that question um, is how sick may you get from it in my mind? And the, Again, the data suggests that even if you were to get COVID a second time, uh, which seems to be pretty unusual at this point, uh, the likelihood of you getting very sick from it, it's quite low. Uh, so we haven't seen really very many cases. Uh, there, might, there, there are a few sporadic case reports of people getting COVID the second time with a slightly different genetic variation of it, uh, but they aren't getting uh, critically ill from it, which is good. Um, but that's still kind of in flux, and we don't have the hard, hard science, hard data on it yet. Um, and the effects of an asymptomatic infection, uh, the eight and a half IQ points notwithstanding. Um, so the effects, uh, the long-term effects of an asymptomatic infection, I think it's safe to say are going to be minimal. Um, really, the, the, the psychic effects of this pandemic are going to be much greater than any sort of hard biologic effect of um, an asymptomatic infection. So if you've made it through this without any symptoms and you had a positive test, that's great. I don't think it confers complete immunity on you. And there is still a small but real risk that that was a false positive test. Um, and so I would still urge continuing to follow the COVID rules, if you will. Question number two is an email from somebody who wants to travel to Florida um, and would like to get a test beforehand. Um, and my, the question is, what's the most accurate test available to folks who have no symptoms? Well, the best test is one that you can get at this point. And in this county right now, there's really only one test option. Um, and so that's that's kind of what you're stuck with. Um, the Abbott, the machine that they're running out of um, out of Willits, is not um, appropriate for asymptomatic individuals. But the one that they're running out of OptumServe is. That one's fine. And then the one in the Kaya ER, um, and I think the Coast Hospital, um, are both 
FDA approved and reasonably sensitive and system uh, sensitive and specific uh, for asymptomatic individuals. So either of those tests would be fine. The OptumServe test um, would be obviously the most economical test to get. And then part two of that is how long do I recommend quarantining to travel to see a loved one? So just to be clear, this is not the time to be traveling to see a loved one unless there are really compelling reasons to do so. And the risk analysis has to sort of take into account how um, high risk the individual the individuals are um, and what your what your collective comfort is with exposure. That being said, um, I would recommend at least a seven-day period of quarantine after a negative test um, just to make certain that that test did not miss an early infection. You can get retested during that seven days if you want to be even more assured. But the real risk, frankly, is getting from here to there. Um, airplane travel hasn't been shown to be a super spreader sort of mode of transportation, but airports and getting from here to the airport and through security and all that involves a lot of uh, close contact with a lot of people. Um, and I'm not sure what mask wearing looks like in Florida right now. I imagine it's pretty good at the Bay Area airports, but that would be a bigger concern than the, the seven-day quarantine here prior to travel. All right. So thank you, uh, questioners, for your emails. And let's go ahead and open up the phone lines. Sure. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Good afternoon. After waiting day after day um, in line at a drive through I realized I don't wear a mask inside my car. I have it ready for when I get to the window. But when I get to the box where I place my order, I'm not wearing a mask. And I don't think most people are either. And I think that there's aerosolized air right there that's been contaminated. Because these lines move, let's say, pretty quickly, drive through for food. And so that uh, a person orders, of course, as soon as they order, they move up and I'm next. And their aerosolized breath is still there. So I thought, hmm, I think we should all be wearing our masks when we approach that box to place our order. It's 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 a good point. I, I think, frankly, the actual risk of aerosolized um, particles um, remaining in a local airspace outdoors as you drive vehicles through it is exceedingly low. I'm not going to say it's zero. Frankly, there's probably a higher risk of whatever sort of food you're getting through that drive-up window um, than the um, exposure to the potentially contaminated air. So, sure, wear a mask when you get to that, that squawk box, but uh, I, I think that risk is actually quite low indeed. All right. I hope that puts you at ease a little bit, caller. Thanks for the call. Let's take another call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, my question is, is I have been walking outside with friends, and what is the protocol for mask wearing and distancing? Is it safe to be six feet apart and not wearing a mask? Should we always be wearing a mask? Should we be further apart? Would that be even safer? Um, anyway, I'll take my answer on the air. Let's see. We're off, off 
the telephone. <laughs> okay, thanks. So yeah, that's an interesting question, and it's multi-faceted multi, uh, to be sure. But uh, first off, I would make sure that the group that you are walking with and socializing with is uh, mutually comfortable with whatever you agree upon. So you, you need to make sure you're all on the same page. Secondly, the six feet is, is kind of an arbitrary and minimal um, requirement. So yes, you'd be safer if you kept more than six feet apart. Um, so I would recommend doing that. When I see my parents, I stay at least double that away from them um, and sometimes even further. So I, I would definitely recommend um, stretching that out a bit as long as you can hear one another. I, as for mask wear, I, when you're outdoors, um, and if you're staying, if you're able to stay, if you're in an environment where you're not going to encounter other people, um, and you know, cause discomfort for the, these other individuals, then mask wearing is probably not entirely necessary, provided that you are staying at least, you know, I would say double the six foot requirement. If you can't do that, or if you're in a public area where you're going to meet other people on a trail or in a public park, then I would just wear your mask, you know, as, as frustrating as it is. Um, it's hard to remember to stay six or 10 or 12 feet away all the time, particularly if you're in conversation with friends, particularly you know, if you're walking and you're moving and maybe you're dealing with dogs or kids or whatever else. So I, I, I would recommend wearing a mask if they are extremely burdensome, then I would, you know, I would perhaps take it off, but that would just frankly increase my anxiety about the social distancing requirement but it's a perfect thing to be doing certainly you know being outside and walking and talking with friends is perfectly acceptable in my estimation um and and i don't i don't really sign off on very many activities but that's one that gets my seal of approval Excellent. Okay, we, we just had another caller drop off, so I was just about to pick up that next call. But let me put out the phone number again. It's 707-895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Colfax, and my name is Alicia Bales sitting here at the controls. Here's that caller. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Uh, yes. Um, I have been trying to get a person a test for over 10 days. And I could, I, I went on the internet. I spent 20 minutes trying to make an appointment down at the Ukiah Fairgrounds. We're in Willits. Uh, this was an employee who was sick the week before, took the whole week off. When he came back on Monday, I said, I can't let you in. You must take a COVID test. So I sent him down there, figuring somebody there is going to give him a test. He also went online, tried to make an appointment. Uh, so that was a failure. Um, then two days later, I think that was Wednesday, he made an appointment all the way over in Fort Bragg since he knew we couldn't get a test in Ukiah, made an appointment. When he got there, they said they, they weren't testing. So he's back wandering around trying to find out where to get a test. All right. So, um, so I, 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 I sympathize with your plight, and I particularly sympathize with your employees' plight. Um, and that, that is a common problem, and I can unfortunately assert definitively that we do not clear people to go back to work from the Ukiah Hospital. That's just not something that we can do there. But let's presume, for the sake of this intellectual exercise, that your employee did have COVID. You don't need a negative test to be cleared. If he's asymptomatic for at least three days after, um, you know, not taking any anti-fever medications, then he can be cleared to go back to work without a negative test. So, 
that requirement, I'm not sure if that's yours or your bosses or your agency or your businesses, but that requirement um, is not supported by the evidence. That's not what public health is doing to pull people out of isolation when they have COVID. Once they have not had any symptoms uh, for at least three days, um, then they are considered to be not infectious anymore and are lifted out of isolation. So it it's okay to bring him back to work then. As long it's as been he's, two weeks. Yeah. So at this point, yes, that it's it, you know provided he is at no more um, yeah, he risk. Has no symptoms. Right. So he's. Well, I thought you said he was sick for a week. Well, yeah, but that and he said it was a stomach issue, but I I cannot take a chance. Of sure. Course, you sure. Know? Sure. No. And, and as we know, COVID can be just about anything at this point. But if he's been without symptoms for two weeks, then yes, you can certainly bring him back to work. Um, he's no more uh, of a risky employee than anybody else you have working for you right now. You got it. Okay. Uh, you guys need to streamline the uh, getting appointments to get the test, though. It's a disaster. I, believe me, I, I hear you, and I, and I appreciate your frustration. All right. Thanks for the call, caller. Thank you. All right. Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Oh, hi. Um, I was wondering if you have a most asked questions to the doctor on uh, KZYX website. I think. Um, oh, I that's a good idea. <laughs> no, yeah. no, more work. No. <laughs> I didn't listen to your show. I, oh, I you're cutting out there, caller. Caller, hello. I'm so sorry. We've lost you, but that was a brilliant idea. I wonder who we could get to do that. <laughs> Was that a setup, Alicia? I, <laughs> I feel like know. that was a setup. I don't know, but we do certainly have most asked questions. I mean, what would you say the, the top number well, one the, question the, is? Well, the MendocinoCounty.gov.org, uh, um, I guess it is, website also has a fairly lengthy list of most asked questions on COVID. I haven't reviewed it recently. I'm not sure if it's been updated. Um, but back when I last looked at it, it was a pretty good list as well. FAQs. Um, yes. Okay, let's take another call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Howdy. Dr. Colfax, could you address the comorbidity question? I keep hearing a lot of people saying, oh, it's not so dangerous because these people are dying of heart attacks and asthma and everything else. Could you talk about comorbidities and why these people we know are dying of COVID-19 and it's dangerous? Thank you. Sure. So I actually, a really easy way to think of one's own personal risk with COVID um, is to look at it this way. If you are 20 years old, for example, your chance of dying within a year is really very low. I, I, I can't give you the absolute percentage, but we're talking, you know, one in 40,000 just to pick a number. I might be off by a factor of 10, but, you know, let's just, let's just go with that number. Um, whereas if you're 75, your risk of dying within a year is substantially higher. In general, um, and I've seen this uh, data come across a couple of health sites that I, I watch, in general, your risk of dying with COVID, um, your risk of dying if you get COVID basically doubles. And so if you're 20, your risk of dying doubles a very low number, whereas if you're 75, your risk of dying with COVID doubles a number that's, you know, I don't want to be too morbid, but you're, you're closer to the end of your life at 75 than you are at 20. And so your risk of dying within a year is higher. But if you get COVID, it goes up by a factor of two. So that's a very crude but easy to remember sort of risk assessment. We all... Well, some of the more morbid among us may have a sort of internal sense of our own mortality. Um, so COVID basically doubles your risk, um, whether you are 20 or 90.
Um, and so that's that's one thing. And then perhaps you're touching on sort of these other risk factors that we talk about. Age is still by far the runaway biggest, most robust risk factor from a, to have a bad outcome with COVID. It's just hands down, that is the biggest predictor of you're ending up in the hospital, in the ICU, on a ventilator, or dying from COVID. That, that's the big one. Um, the others that have some component of risk are um, any sort of heart condition, um, high blood pressure, kidney failure. So people who are on dialysis are extremely high risk from do, for doing very poorly. Um, not just sort of chronic kidney disease, but full-on kidney failure, dialysis sort of patients. Um, obesity is a fairly robust um, predictor of a bad outcome, although it's actually become a little bit more controllable now that we've gotten better at managing COVID. Uh, we sort of learned the importance of proning and not putting people on ventilators. And so that risk factor, which was very high in the beginning, um, has come down a bit. Um, and those are sort of the big ones off the top of my head. There are certainly others. Um, diabetes, not so much. Asthma actually hasn't really been proven to be a big risk factor. One would think it would be since at least initially this was thought of as a respiratory infection. But asthma actually is not a major risk factor. Um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease um, from smoking um, or occupational exposure, that is also a moderately robust risk factor for this illness. What about cancer? Well, cancer, you know, it depends where you are in cancer. So if you're a cancer patient currently getting treatment um, and you're immune suppressed, then yes, um, very much so. If you're a cancer survivor and you're cancer free, then no, not at all. All right. Thanks for that question, caller. Okay, the lines are open. So this is the local coronavirus update. The number in the studio is 707-895-2448. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Oh, there, there they are. Okay, I, I thought we finally caught up. I know. I was about to put on the, the <laughs> music. The epilogue. <laughs> okay. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Yes, hi. Um, this is Randy from Willits, and thank you for the program. I've been following this for a long time, and I, I finally did get a uh, at the county fairgrounds. I was able to get a uh, test and came out negative and was very grateful for that opportunity. But my daughter's a nurse, and she told me that the skin is your first shield of protection uh, against anything that's out in the, you know, in the air or in the, or in the environs for disease and for infections. And the two t tests that you have to take, you know, the first one and then the second one, break the skin. And I'm concerned about, I'm reading a book, I don't know if you've ever heard of Stephanie C Cave, She's a doctor, um, and also Deborah Mitchell, and it's about uh, what your doctor may not tell you about children's vaccinations. And it talks about measles, mumps, and rubella, and, uh, oh gosh, um, many, many different vaccinations, and about the dangers that often, but my, my brother's oldest son got epileptic, epileptic seizures after his first immunization, and he had it for the rest of his life. He had high fevers. I got, um, myself, I'm, I'm allergic to penicillin, and I, I got herpes zoster after my immunizations. And so, no, I don't hear anybody talking about the possibility. I'm sorry, ma'am, I, I, I don't mean to cut so you like off, you but address that. what's, what's your question again, please? I'm sorry. I'd like for you to address the possibility that people can, can get sick from the immunizations. 
Sure. So you know, you know. Uh, that, that's that's a good question. That's certainly a concern of many people. Um, yes, you can get sick from immunizations. It's exceedingly rare. Um, people have obviously localized um, reactions. So you get a tetanus update and your arm is sore for a day or two. No big deal. You get a flu vaccine and you may have flu-like symptoms for a day or two. Some people swear it gave them the flu. It did not. It just caused your body to produce the symptoms consistent with flu, but typically much less mild than the actual illness. And then there is a subset, or a very small subset of very unlucky, unlucky people that have much more severe reactions um, to basically all immunizations or any immunization, um, whether it's the MMR or whether it's the flu vaccine or um, any of the other, um, you know, I think it's nine vaccines now, nine different vaccines that children receive. Um, and so it's it's extremely rare. Uh, the risk of a bad reaction is much lower than the risk of getting the illness. Let's just be very clear about that. Um, but unfortunately, I don't think that the healthcare establishment has been extremely good at communicating the non-zero nature of this risk. It's, it's true there is a tiny risk. Is it something that causes me concern? Not at all, um, because we know these vaccines are extremely safe, um, they are extremely effective, and they have saved millions of lives in this country. Um, you know, occasionally, I think I've seen one person in my 20 years in medicine who had Guillain-Barre syndrome um, or disease after receiving a vaccine. That's one of the known side effects of a vaccine quite rare uh, you know one in you know 500,000 vaccines is going to result in something like that but it does happen and I don't anticipate that the coronavirus vaccines and there are now I think about 150 in various stages of development um, I don't think that their risk profile is going to be any different than any other vaccine that's been brought to market all right should we finish up with one more call sure maybe it'll be a quick one oh. that was very quick good afternoon caller you're live on the air Yes, I just wanted to uh, make sure I heard what I heard. The county can spend millions of dollars for a motel for the homeless, but people can't just go in and get tested for the virus. I mean, who's running this show anyway? Thanks. I'll take my answer on the air. Sure. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't work for the county. Let's just put my disclaimer at the end of the show. I am just an ER doctor in Ukiah who had this great idea back in February. Um, but um, the testing is really not the testing problems, um, while they have certainly been substantial in this county, don't just begin and end with the county. Um, it, it really has been a statewide and nationwide problem. There just hasn't been any sort of organized systemic approach to get free, fair, accurate, fast testing uh, distributed to every part of this country in a way that should have happened back in April, May, June, July, August, September, October, <laughs> and now November, and we're still talking about getting adequate testing. That's I true. agree. It's outrageous. I don't think that that means we shouldn't be spending time, you know, buying a hotel and putting um, homeless people, um, you know, in the hotel so they can safely quarantine and isolate when they get COVID. That was a very um, proactive and smart decision by the county to do that. Um, and that's really helped contain um, the outbreak amongst the homeless population, primarily in Ukiah, but it's been very effective. Well, we certainly don't want to be pitting COVID testing against caring for the homeless in our community. Boy, well, yes, exactly. That's a false dichotomy there. Yes. Um, also, I didn't know if the caller had said that they went to OptumServe because I have never had a problem getting a test at OptumServe within a day or two. 
you know, I, I maybe you've just been lucky. Really? No, I actually, I from what I've heard, they've been very efficient over the course of really since August. They seem to really get things streamlined quite nicely. I, I so. never had as much anxiety checking my test results as I did this time, though, because uh, it's really getting close. I have friends who have it. Uh, you know, it's it's much closer than it than it's ever been. Well, and that's unfortunately, you know, where we're heading with you know 13 million Americans. It's it's pretty much inevitable that. Almost everybody at this point knows somebody who has had COVID. Um, and, you know, most of us are going to do okay, but we're, we're averaging almost 1,500 deaths a day in this country right now. I, I'm afraid it could be three times that in a month and a half. All right. Well, I guess we're going to leave it at that, but it's, it's really something to, to keep in mind as we're asking questions like, can I travel for the holidays or, you know, trying to think about the next few months and... and structuring our lives around getting through to that vaccine with as few infections in the community as we possibly can. Yeah, we just really, we want to keep it low locally because if it surges statewide, we're going to, you know, we're going to not really have any resources we can reach out for. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, we're stretched pretty thin on the best of days here in the county in terms of healthcare resources, in terms of hospital beds, in terms of ventilators or doctors that know how to operate ventilators. Um, and so if we get overwhelmed, it means the rest of the state and the rest of the country is as well. Um, and so it's best just to stay safe, um, continue to ride this out. Spring is coming. It will end. Um, and I'd really like to see this sort of die out here in the county prematurely. All right. Well, we're going to be back on Wednesday at 3 o'clock. Any other scheduling stuff you want to let people know? I think three o'clock should work That's fine. That's it. On Wednesday. Okay, yeah, good, I, good. No. And uh, hopefully you're available too to call in and be part of the local coronavirus update. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXMZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.